Welcome back to Sports Day. Our news headlines tonight have been brought to you by the Spirit of Tasmania. Unwind as you wander and set sail with Spirit of Tasmania for $69. Conditions apply. It's time to talk a little bit more cricket now with the age chief cricket writer, Daniel Bredick, who joins us on Sports Day. Dan, welcome. Good to be with you guys. Now, there's been a bit of news around, um, obviously regarding largely Ricky Ponting, not just where he's actually going to coach uh, during our winter, but also some of the comments he made about Jake Fraser McGurk. But just I'm interested in your overall thoughts of of the, the Canberra disaster, I guess, and, and the three one-day internationals between Australia and the West Indies. What was your overall take? Oh, look, I think what you saw there was the difference between uh, say the West Indies test squad and the test program, uh, there's clearly been a lot of effort put in there over the last couple of years to try to build something more cohesive. And, uh, you know, having a leader like Craig Brathwaite is quite important to that. Um, and then, of course, uh, the advent of Shamar Joseph um, as a real kind of shooting star um, made a bit of a difference there. Whereas, yeah, the West Indies white ball program uh, you know, on the face of it, it's a stronger team in the sense that they've got a few more of their um, white ball specialists and, um, you know, T20 merchants involved. But the team itself doesn't feel quite as cohesive. And that obviously was reflected in the fact that they didn't qualify for the 50 over World Cup in India late last year. And so uh, the expectation now that as, you know, Western is kind of have three fairly distinctly different teams across formats, is that the T20 side will probably perform a little bit better than the ODI team. But, um, yeah, whether they can cause a surprise as, uh, as happened in the Gabba Test match remains to be seen. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to talk about because we, I think we were all seduced and by what the West Indies did in the Test Series and we're all really excited and sort of like potentially a snapshot, snapshot to the future. And then we saw what we saw in the one days. But my observation would be that much like Australia looking for a World Cup in four years, there was a, a real sort of youth policy and, 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 and it was a very inexperienced West Indies team. So I don't think we should get too concerned because as you said, we'll see some good players that we all know in the T20s. It's just a reality of a, of a very young and inexperienced team. Am I being too kind to the West Indies or do you think that's fair? No, I think that I think that's fair. And of course, the other thing is that we are at the beginning of a new cycle that runs four years basically yeah, to the yeah. next World Cup, and uh, it is it's definitely an issue for cricket uh, across the board that you've now got a lot of bilateral uh, limited overs series. That um, yes, there is a ODI qualification league for the World Cup, and that's um, obviously critical to for teams to qualify in those spots and to West Indies' detriment, they didn't qualify for the World Cup last year. But um, communicating that across the board so that people are engaged with it, players want to play in it, um, spectators come and watch it, um, TV viewers tune into it. Uh, yeah, it, it looks at the moment like um, that's not really a battle that's being, that's being won. Uh, and so you increasingly hear from administrators that, well, bilateral ODIs in between World Cups are perhaps the format that we could do with a bit less of if we're going to make room for other things. Then is, is all we're hearing at the moment, I guess, are the, the issues and the problems, not a lot of solution 
Uh, not a lot of ideas on on how to, um, I guess, implement change or positive change toward, I guess, all forms of 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 the game. Also, the the test arena and the and the fifty over version. Have you got any ideas? Is there an you know an equalisation measure that you can you could potentially put in place to to see some of not surplus money that it's some of the money that uh, the strong nations have got that could help. Uh, facilitate some of the better players playing for these other nations. Is there something along those lines that you could come up with? Because as I said, you know, all I'm hearing at the moment is, is, or are the issues with the game, not necessarily the solutions to fix some of the issues. Yeah, there's a, there's a few ideas that are being um, tossed around and, and, and lots have been discussed over the past, uh, the past 10 years or, or so. Um, one of those uh, that Ricky Ponting brought up again today when we spoke to him was uh, the idea of a little bit of regulation in terms of capping the number of T20 franchise leagues that a player can play in across the year. So they can play in three leagues, uh, which means that if they max out on the number of leagues they're playing in, there's still some room in the calendar for them to represent their country. So that's something that can be done on the regulatory side. On the funding side, there's... There's two main pots of money in, in international cricket. There's that from bilateral series, which is, you know, the amount of money that, uh, say, in Australia, Foxtel and Seven and also overseas broadcasters like Star in India pay to broadcast the um, series that are being played in Australia. So, the you know, the Test Series we just had or the India Series next summer or the Ashes after that. And then the other pot of money, which is, um, you know, uh, discussed at the at the ICC um, global table is the amount of money that is paid by broadcasters for World Cups. So the um, uh, that pot of money is quite a lot in this cycle. It's about four billion US. Um, so then it's a question of how much or how that money is distributed. At the moment, according to the model that was put in place last year. India gets 37% of that and everyone else gets a much smaller percentage irrespective of sort of where they're at in terms of um, their finances and how much money they can draw in from bilateral series. And one of the problems that cricket has and one of the things that needs to be addressed is trying to balance out those two pots of money because India, Australia and England get a lot of money from bilateral tours. No other countries get much money from those tours. Uh, but the World Cup rights, obviously, all countries contribute to that because broadcasters are p- paying for a global event. So there's lots of discussion about whether that money can be re- re- redistributed a little bit more equitably so that more countries can afford to pay their players to play international cricket. Sticking sticking with Ricky Ponting, he's um, still one of the... The, uh, the 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 giants of of cricket, isn't he? He's um, sneaking across to to coach the Washington Freedom. I must admit, I'm not a I'm not locked in on the cricket like you and Whitey are, but I'm not familiar with the Washington Freedom. Can 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 someone like Ricky League, the Major League Cricket, can 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 Ricky Ponting uh, make them, uh, I guess, known around the world? He definitely helps. He definitely adds. Uh, credibility to any competition that he's a part of. Um, But I think the main uh, point of uh, starting up a T20 league in the USA and of more cricket being played there, there are going to be some matches in the the T20 World Cup this year played in the USA, including India v Pakistan um, in uh, in New York. 
Uh, and there's also going to be cricket in the Olympics for the first time um, in Los Angeles in 2028. All of that is happening because USA is actually one of the biggest markets for cricket in the world outside of Australia, England and India, because there is, for one thing, a huge Indian expat population that's cricket obsessed in the USA. And so that is what is being attempted to be tapped into through this league. And its first year last year, it was a success commercially. It was a success in the sense that the players who played enjoyed playing in it. And there's also a tie-in for a couple of the clubs. So Cricket New South Wales is tied into the Washington Freedom. So it was uh, essentially um, Michael Klinger, who runs the T20 program for Cricket New South Wales, who recruited Ricky Ponting to be their new coach. And similarly, Cricket Victoria has a tie-in with um, the San Francisco Unicorn. So there are a couple of um, cross-currents, you might say, where um, Australian cricket is to some degree invested in the evolution of, of that league. And of course, it's played in around July, which is no threat to the Australian season. And uh, so, yeah, there's there's quite a bit of impetus for Australian players to take part in it. And it does seem, Dan, that there are going to be a number of Australians, Australia's biggest stars playing this year in uh, Major League Cricket. And obviously there's the World Cup, T20 World Cup in America and the West Indies as well. The feeling is if you talk to players and coaches that were there last year, they feel it could potentially be the, the second biggest competition, T20 competition behind the IPL within three or five years. And a lot of these people that were saying that were, were very cynical of it uh, 12 months ago. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. Um, I think it's got, um, uh, yeah, it, it's got legs in the sense of, like I said before, the, the, the I suppose you'd say the, the market potential for it in a commercial sense. Um, the other thing that I think is a huge um hugely attractive thing as far as, you know, players and support staff and, and I guess all the operational people that put together a cricket, cricket tournament is the novelty of playing cricket in the USA. Like, it, it's always been, I guess, the kind of, um, you know, it's like the, the high-speed rail dream of, of world cricket to get cricket up and going in the United States. And the fact that this is now actually happening and it's happening in places where um, people want to go and visit um, and might even want to go and visit to, you know, have a holiday and, and play some golf if we're talking about cricketers. Obviously, they love their golf. Um, <laughs> all of that, I think, contributes to the attractiveness on, of the package and uh, why, you know, um, Australian players who may have just played in the T20 World Cup in the Caribbean and the USA might want to stay on for another three weeks. Yeah, exactly right. So do you know where Glenn Maxwell is going to play in the Major League Cricket? That's a very good question. Um, why do you might know more than me there? Well, I mean, you would think that he would be aligned to the Unicorns being the Cricket Victoria team. I'm not sure that's the case, though. So, I wonder Well, what... one of the things that I can say that was very interesting talking to, uh, talking to Ricky Ponting earlier today was I basically asked him, well, given that uh, you are a coach with the Delhi Capitals, and the Delhi Capitals also have an investment in another team in Major League Cricket. Yes. Um, were they okay with you coaching the Washington Freedom yeah. who have a different ownership model? And he said, well, yeah, I, they were fine with it, but that was the first phone call I made after I got approached. Is this, <laughs> is this okay? And, and I think that's a, that's a bit of an insight for you into um, some of the conversations that are going to be going on, whether it be with um, coaching staff, players, anyone really who is already involved with an IPL team, it's like, well, I might want to play in this league, but it depends on what, um, what my, uh, 
what what the owners of the IPL franchise I'm involved in want me to do, or or, or how they want me to uh, to map out my year. So uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a complicated picture. It very much so is. Uh, Dan, uh, Whitey and I were speaking the other day. I'm going to say uh, Cam Green's uh, uh, Whitey. You might be able to help me. Miraculous catch in that left hand was in the second. It was uh, yep. ODI. Uh, whichever match it was, you shouldn't forget about it. Is, have you seen? Have you seen many or any other guys that have played the game at his size who can who can who can catch the ball and move like he can? Well, I'd, I'd say. Uh... Josh, a little bit like in in the AFL, the the agile big man is the is the is the holy grail as far as uh, as as fielding and, and and catching is concerned in in cricket. To have someone with his uh, his his reach, his wingspan, but also his reactions, um, you know, there are mm. there are catches that he's taken. Um, you know, that one um, uh, that one was in a, you know uh, in a, in front of the wicket kind of position. Um, whereas in Test cricket, you know, in the in the gully in particular, um, you know, he's got to be able to have such great eye to to react as quickly as, as he can to uh, use that full wingspan um, when the ball's travelling at pace. And, um, yeah, it's uh, it's been one of the, the the great things about watching Test cricket uh, in Australia in the last couple of years is um, not only his, his catching the quality of it, but also... Um, how genuinely excited he is if he takes a good one. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, I'd say that and Scott Boland have probably been two of the great sort of uh, crowd-friendly um, recurring uh, things about Australian cricket the last two or three years. Yep. Now, before we let you go, and we appreciate your time, Dan, we are talking to Dan Bredig, who is the chief cricket writer for The Age. Um, Mike Hussey and Lynn Larson and the Australian Cricket Awards last week why weren't they mentioned in the hall of in the hall of fame section yeah it was a it, it, it was a really good uh window into the fact that the australian cricketers awards australian cricket awards or the um uh alan border and Bidalinda clark awards um that the format has changed a lot over the past 23 24 years the first time they were um or the alan border medal was awarded was in um early 2000 and it tells you that cricket is so much more complex than the footy codes in terms of, well, how are you going to have an awards night if you're trying to encompass everything? Yes. And like, like the original, you know, the early editions of the Allen Border Medal Night was styled as closely as possible to the Brownlow Medal. You know, they had a count. It was, it was much more that kind of, that kind of thing with a couple of little, um, uh, uh, a couple of little sidelights in terms of, um, you know, inductions to the Hall of Fame and, and little changes of pace like that. In this case, um, there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, trying to make it as, as good a kind of broadcast production as it can be, make it engaging for, for a television audience. And uh, so, yeah, not having Hall of Fame induction speeches on the night the, the kind of uh, counterbalance to that was the idea that, well, we're going to make a bigger deal about that at the Boxing Day test in the case of Mike Hussey or the Brisbane test in the case of Lynn Larson. Uh, but I think what was missed there was the fact that in the room on the night, obviously, it's an audience of cricketers past and present who would like to hear yeah. some insight from the careers of one of their heroes or one of their peers. And... Um, I think that's something that uh, probably needs a little bit of a, 
of a rethink for um for next year. Whether that means you know full scale kind of speeches or interviews again, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a case where um, you know the the broadcast audience reach, I suppose, for a Hall of Fame inductee is not the same thing as um, them being recognised in yeah. A room full of cricketers. Yeah, and look, I, my personal view is the Hall of Fame section is the probably the best part of the night. Um, they have tried to make it a pacier, sort of slicker package, getting through it a lot quicker, but I think they've missed a trick there. I reckon that's uh, one of the best parts. Anyway, that's just my view. Dan, thanks very much for your time tonight on Sports Day. Really appreciate it. We'll catch you again soon. All good, guys. Dan Bredig, the Age Chief Cricket Rider. This is Sports Day for Kia. Epic has arrived. The all-electric seven-seat Kia EV9. And Macca's, the new McCrispy Bacon Deluxe, is back at Macca's. And, of course, you can give us a call on the Harcourts open line for all things real estate. Speak to Harcourts. KGO TV sportscaster Larry Beal. He'll join us next from Las Vegas.